0: well good morning so this is what you look like <laughs> you know I can feel the weight of your eyeballs on me I'm not used to, um, to being able to see you out there in the field where we've been for months but you're a good-looking people a kind-hearted looking people and you are the church you are Greenwood Presbyterian Church and it's our privilege to gather together in worship and to give our attention to God's Word for the last several weeks I believe this is week 8 we've been looking to the scriptures with the question of what is the church What does it mean to be the church who are God's people and what is he doing in the world through his church and very slowly with a big picture in view we've been getting piece by piece of how God has been working from the beginning how he's been calling a people to himself, that he says he cherishes, he treasures, even though they don't deserve it. And now in the New Testament, we have seen how Jesus' ministry began last week. And last week we had a sermon where we saw that Jesus started calling people to himself with the simplest of invitations. It was the invitation to come and see, come and be with, come and walk with, Come and live near me. And so Jesus begins gathering a people with that simple invitation. Now this morning, I don't know if we're going to have, it's going to be displayed here. Let's go ahead and call this morning, come and see part two. Because we're going to see that same strategy at work and the same kind of response of God's people. And ultimately, you know, I'm going to ask you about your response. And if you're a kind of people who is interested for others to come and see. So with that in mind, give your attention to the reading of God's Word as we see yet again that God calls all kinds of different people to himself. They don't don't all look the same. They don't all think the same. They don't all live the same. But they're being conformed and transformed more and more to the image and likeness of Jesus himself. This is a long passage probably familiar to it, but you need to hear the beauty of how God is at work calling people to himself. Let's give our ears and our attention to John chapter 4, verses 4 through 30 and then 39 to 42. I've cut out of a a section only because of the length of the passage and the time that we have. God's Word. Now, he had to go through Samaria So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into the town to buy food." where can you get this living water are you greater than our father jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his livestock jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water i give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. And His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when He comes, He will make everything clear to us. He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. Just then, his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. That's a long passage. It's a beautiful story. Let's pray that God would help us understand and apply. Lord, would you take these words and would you now show us the beauty of how you were at work? Would you show us what it is to be the church? how we're to be made up of all kinds of people, and how we can truly never thirst again. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So in 1960, a group of scientists at the University of Florida, after studying the hydration of athletes, invented what? Gatorade. And if I said to you, Gatorade is thirst aid for that, you would say what? Deep down body thirst, right? You remember these commercials? Gatorade is thirst aid for for our deep down body thirst. Listen, this is really a story of spiritual thirst, a thirst of the soul. And it's a story that is sad, and yet it ends very beautifully and happily. Because this woman whose soul is very dry and very thirsty has been drinking on all the wrong water of this life. And she's actually been left more dehydrated than when she began. And by the way, did you know that doctors will tell you, athletic trainers will tell you that most of us are walking around dehydrated. Most of us have confused what we think is hunger with thirst. That's what I'm told. Most of us are dehydrated. And that's going to be true spiritually too. Most of us are drinking on salty water or not even water at all. And much of what we're drinking is dehydrating us. It's it's taking from us what we think it will give us. I have five points this morning, not three. I'm only charging for three. You get two for free this, this morning because it's our first time indoors. But five points from chapter 4 of John, and there could be 20 points. It's so rich, it's so beautiful. First point is this. Jesus is intentionally pursuing His people. That's what's happening in this passage. Jesus is pursuing His people like a shepherd does lost sheep. And that's why He has gone to this well. And that's why He is waiting on this woman. In verse 4, it says, Jesus Uh, Jesus had to go through Samaria. And we understand that that's not true. The typical traffic pattern of choice was to avoid Samaria, to go around to get to his destination. But John in his gospel frequently shows the missional purpose of Jesus with this language of Jesus having to do something, having to do something. And that's how John introduces this woman, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus has a divine appointment to intersect with his people. And that's what we see as Jesus pursues this scandalous woman. And Jesus does this. Jesus pursues his people even when they don't want to be pursued. Even when they'd rather be avoided and unnoticed. And that too is true of this woman at the well. John tells us that it was noon, and Jesus goes and sits by the well. It's a hot day. This is Middle Eastern desert. They've been traveling. He and his disciples are tired. The disciples go go to get food. Jesus, Jesus makes his way to this well, and a woman has come at noon to draw water. And commentators will tell you, this is not normal. This is is unusual. The hour to draw water in the hot desert was in the cool morning or in the cool evening. Right? Just like some of you have found in the summertime, the time to cut grass is in the cool morning or in the cool evening, not in the heat of the day, especially if you're pushing a mower. Right? We learn these things. Well, this woman has come to the well at noon, and she's come by herself. And that is telling us a lot. It is likely she is trying to avoid people. And the reason is because she's an outcast. She has a bad reputation. And Jesus will unearth this later in his questions of her. But as we get to know this woman a little bit this morning... Some of you are hearing this for the first time. Some of you could say my points before I say them. But what we have here is a woman who proves to be very smart. She proves to push back quickly on a man when he questions her. This is not a weak woman, this is a strong woman. She is strong, she is smart, and it appears she must be beautiful. She must be physically attractive to men because she's had six that she would call husband-ish. This is a strong, smart, and beautiful woman. But a woman of scandal, a woman of a bad reputation, and I would argue, I think she's lonely. I think she's a lonely woman. Even though she's strong, even though she's smart, even though she's beautiful, evidence seems to be that she's lonely. Now think about that with me for a moment. This is challenging. Um, I'm going to guess that the women of the town probably don't want to be around her. And I'm pretty sure they don't want her around their husbands. And all that makes for a lonely life, doesn't it? You're strong, you're smart, you're beautiful, you have a bad reputation... The women of the town, they go to the well in the morning or in the evening, but, but you go to the, to the well by yourself. That's the context here. This is, this is an outcast. This is a scandalous woman. The, the subtitle of this talk is Good News for the Scandalous. But you know, I almost have made the subtitle to this sermon Good News for the Home Wrecker." Because literally, I think that's her reputation. And Jesus shows us, shows us that his interests include people like this. His church includes people like this. The scandalous, the homewrecker. The kingdom of God includes people like this. Jesus is intentionally pursuing His people. And He he is showing us what kind of people He includes. And in the midst of doing this, Jesus is breaking all the norms, all the social, acceptable norms. You're going to see that He's breaking religious norms. He's breaking racial norms. He's breaking cultural norms. Because He's talking to a Samaritan woman who is scandalous. And the culture would have said, you don't do any of those things. But Jesus did them anyway because His church dictates over culture and its expectations. Let me stop there and ask this question of all of us. This pursuit of Jesus, this intentional pursuit of a people and a calling of those people to Himself, Have you ever experienced anything like that with Him? Where it's as if the hound of heaven is on the move for you or the people around you. The intentionality that Jesus shows in pursuing this scandalous woman, there ought to be a lot of hands that go up that say, I've been pursued. God has intersected in my life with people, with His Word, with His truth. He's pursued me in that same way. This is our sister in Christ and her story of how she was pursued. What's your story of how you've been pursued? Probably not this dramatic. Wouldn't make for this kind of a narrative. But no less beautiful and no less spiritual. This is how God pursues His sheep. Secondly, because of sin we all try to deflect and bob and weave to resist his inquiry, to resist his questions as he begins to probe and get closer and closer to our hearts. This woman bobs and weaves, she deflects, she pauses, she delays, and so do we. We do the same thing. She's like a mirror showing us what we tend to do, how we have operated with the Lord in the past, and maybe still attempt to operate with Him. I want you to look at some of her deflection, her bobbing, and her weaving. Like a boxer, she's, every time Jesus throws a ministry punch, she's bobbing, she's weaving, she's ducking, she's diving. But you can't outbox God. But look at her efforts. In verse 9, she brings up racial resistance. She says, wait a minute, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me for a drink? Now you need to understand the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. There's a lot that could be said here. The simplest little nugget is this. Jews viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds and heretics. They viewed them as half-breeds and heretics. That's strong language, isn't it? But that was the Jewish perception and understanding of how the Samaritans came to be as a people and how they had corrupted the true worship of God. They had syncretized it with the other nations. And so they had elements of Judaism And they added to it, they tweaked it, they perverted it, they moved the temple, the place of worship. And so Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. And that's the first card that she plays. That's her first bob, duck, and weave is, you're not supposed to be talking to me. Then secondly, in verse 12, she has a genealogical argument. She says to Jesus, are you saying that your water is greater than Jacob's water? Because this is Jacob's well. And I understand at this point, the well was about 2,000 years old. It was perceived as significant because it was for 2,000 years. It had given water effectively. And I understand that well still exists and now we're at 4,000 years. Remarkable. And she says of this revered well and of Jacob you're saying your water is better than Jacob's water. Right? That's a pushback. That's a cynical, skeptical pushback, and she's giving it to Jesus. And then thirdly, she gives a theological argument. She, start, she starts to talk about worship in verse 20. She said, well, when it comes to worship, you have your belief, I have mine. Y'all have your belief about worship in the temple in Jerusalem, We have our view of Mount Gerizim and how worship is rightly there. So we just, let's just, it's a religious worship argument, right? That's the card that she plays. And then, fourthly, she plays the card of delay. She says, well, someday later when Messiah comes, we'll know. And so she's attempted, she's practiced, she's done all the same strategies that we do with people. Right? Worship wars, theological arguments, delay. Who can really know? And she's just trying to keep Jesus at an arm's distance where he can't get close to her and her heart and her issues. Let's stop there for a moment. Which of those Bob Weave deflect strategies are your favorite in your life? Because we all do it. Anytime somebody brings truth a little bit too close to the heart, when conviction starts to come near, our instinct is to bob, weave, deflect. So search your own heart. How, how is it that you need to reconsider? You're bobbing, you're weaving, you're deflecting. It may be the Lord is bringing truth closer and closer to you, and you're like a boxer trying to find a way to avoid it. But that brings us to our third point. Regardless of the bobbing, weaving, and deflecting, Jesus persists. He presses on. He presses on to her heart and to her issues. You know, we sing the hymn, O love that will not let me go. And we sing it because it's true that God is on the move and He pursues His people and He loves His people and no amount of bobbing and weaving and deflecting will stop Him. When the hound of heaven is on the move, when Aslan is on the move, He will have His people. And we see here that Jesus is not easily deterred. He's not sidetracked easily. And He pierces through to the issues of the heart. He says to this woman, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink, you'd have asked him for one. So he presses forward. She takes a step back, he steps closer to her. Then he says, Jacob's water, it will leave you thirsty again. But my water is a living water that will spring up in you and quench Your deepest thirst. So she raises the argument. She steps back. Jesus steps forward and gets closer to her again. And then thirdly, after she's deflected about her husband, Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue and He says to her, you know you're right when you say that you have no husband. The truth is you've had five husbands and the man that you're with now is not your husband. And somehow, she begins to realize, this man knows me. I don't know how he knows me. Almost, if you remember last week, that mysterious knowledge of Nathaniel under the fig tree. Nathaniel realizes, whoa, he fully knows me. How does he know me? And yet, though he fully knows me, he's not rejecting me. And that seems to be what has wooed this woman's heart. She sees that she is fully known, but somehow she is fully loved and accepted. And it's beautiful to her, and it melts her heart. And that's our fourth point. The gospel makes hard hearts soft. The hardest, coldest heart can be made soft. And you know, this is what the Lord promised back through the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the Lord said, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I'll move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. See, the Lord had promised that He knew His people had a hard heart problem. But He and His Spirit together would work and would soften the hearts of His people and give them a new desire to obey His law and to follow Him. And we've seen it in Nathaniel. We've seen it in the calling of the first disciples. Their response was to say, Come and see. You've got to come see this man who knew me. He's the Messiah. And now we come to this woman with a hard heart filled with pushback against the Lord Himself and the Lord softens her heart. Now, a few comments about that. It sure seems that Jesus is both tough and tender with this woman. And I want you to think about that. He does not win her through argument As we tend to like to do, we like to argue, right? We've said this before. In our tradition, we love to argue. But he doesn't win her through argument. But he is tough with her and he says true things. But ultimately, he's tender with her, with truth and with grace. And so he speaks uncomfortable truth to her. You know, the truth is, you've had many husbands, you've had much thirst. He's tough. He doesn't beat around the bushes with her at all. He goes right to the heart like only the Lord can. But at the same time, do you see how tender he is with her? He treats her wounds tenderly. And so he's this unique mixture that we can only pretend to be of toughness and tenderness rightly and appropriately put together. But it gives us something to be aware of in our own ministries. Sometimes, man, just say the truth, right? We can be tough on people. But Jesus is both tough and tender. And somehow our church and our ministry needs to understand and model both speaking uncomfortable truth but doing so tenderly and lovingly and non-compromisingly. That's what Jesus has done with this woman. He offers her living water, for free. Just ask of me and you can have it, he says to her. Rob Rayburn, who's a pastor who you know by now, I appreciate, says this on this passage. He says, We all suffer from a raging and maddening thirst. We're thirsty for happiness, for love, for security, for contentment, for goodness, for purpose, and for more. Our problem is that we seek to quench these thirsts with things that only make us more thirsty. And in the woman at the well, we learn what it is to stand face to face with a Savior who pours endless living water into her dry and thirsty heart. And that captures precisely well what we have here with this woman. The gospel of grace from Jesus himself who says, As ugly as your past is, as ugly as your present is, you can be fully known, not hiding anything, and yet fully loved because of the grace of the gospel. Now as you hear that, most people would have in the back of their minds a sense of, yeah, 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 but... I have a past there's something that's happened to me or there's something that I've done that can't be known because it is unlovely and unlovable and to you I would say read the story again God is saying you can be fully known in all of your dark sin but by faith in him because of the grace of the gospel You can be fully loved, embraced by him, and made new with a new heart. That's what the story is all about, renewal. A renewal that includes the most unlikely of people. That the kingdom of God includes the most unlikely of people. And that those are the people God welcomes, he redeems, and he uses in this world. So where are you in responding to this kind of grace, this kind of good news? The woman at the well seems to come to a pretty clear conclusion by the end of the story. With a softened heart, she now eagerly tells others, you heard it when I read it, come and see. Right, The same response as the disciples in chapter 1 last week. Come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did fully known. And her response is because she's fully loved. She wants others to know. And the passage says that people came out in droves and many believed because of the woman's testimony, which is a dramatic statement in and of itself. And then when they come and they experience Jesus, they say, we now believe because we've seen ourselves and not only because you said so. And can I say, here we have this snowballing picture of the church and of the community of God's people. Once you've experienced grace and forgiveness and being repurposed and renewed, you've got to share it with others. And you understand all are welcome to come and experience this renewal. Not people just like us, but even the Samaritans. Even those despised. Even those forsaken and neglected. They're included too. And to Greenwood Presbyterian Church especially to you who are members who have said we want to hook arms with this church and be the church in Greenwood I would say to you surely Greenwood is filled with people who have not yet heard this kind of good news and perhaps it is through you saying to them come and see come in here come and be with have a seat at our table have a seat with our family You've got to know what we've come to know. You're free to reject it. But we want you to know what we've known ourselves because it is the most beautiful and true thing we've ever heard. That's what it is to be the church. A simple, welcoming spirit of God is calling all kinds of people to himself. They don't all look alike. They don't all sound alike. They don't have the same stories, the same background. But God loves his people, and we are finding out as he calls those people to himself what they are, who they are. This is Jesus. The beginning of the Gospel of John, you remember John said, Behold the Lamb of God, there he is. There's the one who takes away the sin of the world. And this woman would conclude the same. It just took a while for her to get there as God softened her hard heart. But by the end, she too would point to this Jesus and tell all of her friends, there He is. Behold the Lamb of God. Come and see Him. Come and hear of Him. And by the end of the whole Gospel of John, you remember what John says. We're going to hear this over and over. John says to the reader, I write these things to you that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Person after person after person coming to the same conclusion. This morning, that's my conclusion for you, is what is your conclusion on this? Have you known this Jesus who pursues people, who goes to the heart of our issues, leading us to confess our sins, and to find our pardon in Him, in His grace, in His mercy, in His character? Jesus reveals that His church includes all kinds of, thirsty people how thirsty are you where have you sought to quench that thirst are you drinking salty water that only makes you more thirsty or have you found him to be the living water that quenches the deepest thirst of the soul Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. One of the Old Testament prophets, again, pointing to this Jesus. I'll close with this. He says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Because the offer has always been free. And it's always been faithful. Let's pray that that might move us to be the church. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer. Whether we've been a part of the church for many, many years, or if we're young and we're new to it, would we always see that what has been bought is without money. Actually, it was bought with blood for your people. And now, Lord, may we point others to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And may we be eager for others to come and see, to come and be with, to come and draw near. We ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.